Uh, okay, we're ready. Notice some are slow in getting back. Oh, that's what it is. Come on. No, I'm not, I'm not going to. You don't have to keep track. Uh, let me tell you why I do this. You know what? It, it, it's, a, it's a reminder. Some of the questions that, that are uh, around this, the doctrine of the scriptures, um, it's not original with me. You can go online, find it. Uh, Tim Challey's put it together, com- compiled some questions from uh, Grudem's Systematic Theology and some other books as well. But, but I do it. Uh, it's a good refresher, good reminder. Um, but also for... Um, uh, I would encourage you to consider taking this back to do with a, a do it do it in an adult Bible fellowship do it in a Sunday school class and and it, it becomes a because I would say this what you'll find is that people think please hear this rightly people think they know more than they do um, we very few of us live better than we know. So, uh, th- th- when, when, when you do something like this, it, it, it makes someone a little more teachable at times. So, I know that you don't need to be more teachable, but all I'm saying is it's one of, th- one of the reasons that I do this, and they're all true-false, so it, it's just, uh, it, it'll, it'll be okay. Now, God has spoken and God speaks. He has spoken and continues to speak through the Holy Scriptures, the Bible. How well do you know the doctrine of the Scripture? How well do you know what the Bible tells us about the Bible? This short 33-question quiz is designed to help you find out. It, it will not take long, but it's, uh, we'll go through them pretty, pretty quickly. It is appropriate to say that God is the author of the Bible. True or false? Uh, let's say true. Paul writes that all Scripture is breathed out by God. Scripture, then, is God speaking God's words. It is appropriate to consider God the author of Scripture. Now, notice... It is not all God-breathed scripture, right? We talked about that. Second Timothy, okay? Number two, because God is the author of the Bible, it is not appropriate to say the books in the Bible have human authors. True or false? False. In 2 Peter 1.21, another text we looked at earlier, right? It also says that men spoke the words of scripture. The Holy Spirit governed the writing of the text, but the words were written down by human beings. For that reason, it is perfectly appropriate to speak of humans as being the authors of Scripture. Three, inspiration means that God dictated the words of the Bible to human beings who then wrote them down. False. The Holy Spirit governed the writing of the text, but used the skills, vocabulary, research, and personality of the human author. Scripture then is recorded in the words its human authors used, and at the same time, the words are the exact words God wanted them to write. That's, again, the second, it's the second Peter text that, that, that men moved by the Holy Spirit, were carried along by the Holy Spirit. It, it describes the process uh, as well. Uh, four, the ultimate reason that Scripture is authoritative is because God is its author true. Uh, The men who wrote the books of the Bible were speaking from God. Scripture then is God speaking and we are subject to Scripture's authority because we are subject to God's authority. Do you see how closely you can't extricate them? You can't separate the two. Can't do it. I mean, you can, but it's wrong. (laughs) Five. The inspiration of Scripture was the particular work of God the Father. Paulo? And, okay, there you go. Men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Thus, the inspiration of Scripture was the particular work of the Holy Spirit. Paulo, you doing okay? All right. Yes. Six. 
To disobey the Scripture is to disobey God. True, when we obey Scripture, we are obeying God Himself because Scripture is God speaking. When we disobey Scripture, we are disobeying God Himself. Seven, to disbelieve Scripture is to disbelieve God. To not believe what Scripture says is to not believe what God says. Eight, God communicated the words of the Bible to human authors without error. True. Uh, what Scripture says is what God says, and God does not lie or make mistakes. Nine, textual criticism. How I remember the days of textual criticism. Oh, boy. Okay. Textual criticism is a field of study committed to undermining the truthfulness and authority of the Bible. False. Textual criticism is simply a method used to determine what the original manuscripts of the Bible said. Now, some of you uh, remember what we uh, professed together at the front end in our Article 2 of the Statement of Faith. We said in the original writings. This is where textual criticism comes in. So we have thousands of manuscripts of the, of the, of the New Testament and the more manuscripts you have, the more likely you are to reconstruct the original manuscript. And, and in comparison to uh, other writings of uh, early days, antiquity, uh, the numbers are astoundingly different. I mean, hugely different. And so the textual criticism is the, is the discipline of doing, looking at the various texts and then, and then determining based on textual criticism, which is really a science um, to determine the, uh, original, uh, the original manuscript, the original text. And, you know, if you look at your Bibles, you'll find this. You'll find, you would find it in footnotes. So you'll find uh, a, a, a number, one, two, three, four, whatever, and then you look down below and you'll, you'll at times read in your Bible. You'll have the Bible, the, 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 the text, and then you'll have a, a footnote that'll, that it'll explain another variant reading or something like that. That's what that means. That's what that entails. Yes? Uh, yeah, I would say it's not necessarily the oldest. I mean, the oldest uh, could, could have errors in it as well. I mean, it's one of a number of, of uh, uh, a list of things that you go through. Geographical distribution would be another one. Um, the various uh, f families, used, I mean, that used to be language. You, you even made that reference. They, they've, they've kind of gone away from that more in more contemporary discussion of textual criticism. Um, so oldest would be one thing to consider, not the only, nor the exclusive. There's also the geographical distribution and other things as well. And that, that sorry, that's external evidence. There's also internal evidence. And, and uh, so typically what you're going to find um, in your footnotes will be wrestling with more internal evidence sort of stuff than you will the external evidence that you're, you're making reference to. So in essence, what, what the, the, the family of manuscripts, the early manuscripts, was they would be uh, the Byzantine or, or Alexandrian or whatever, and they would put various texts in various geographical locations. 
and, and, and that's how you would then determine uh, different geographical locations and, and w was the same uh, across ge geography or was it, was, it, was it relevant or pertinent to one of those geographical areas? And anyway, that, that's just, that's part of the, the textual criticism. There's a new work out uh, that uh, Dan Wallace, who's a, one of the foremost textual critics, evangelicalism, um, who wrote the foreword uh, that I, I would think is worth our while, well, if you like textual criticism, not many do. Um, but, but having said that, there was, a, there was a, a lack of evangelical scholarship with textual criticism. Bruce Metzger was one of them. Bruce Metzger is now with the Lord, and, and there weren't many others. Uh, but, but Dan Wallace is one of those, and Dan Wallace has now trained a number of, of uh, individuals who are, are pursuing the discipline of textual criticism. And you know what? It, it's, it's not many of our issue, um, and I don't mean issue in a negative sense, um, but, but thank, I thank God for textual critics. I do. Um, they, they help us with these things. Okay, so where were we? Uh, though some scholars use it to undermine the Bible, many others use it to encourage our confidence in the Bible. Uh, ten, the word autographs refers to the original manuscripts or documents on which the Bible was written. Thank, thank, true. The original documents or manuscripts, such as the letter to the Romans that Paul dictated to Tertius and then entrusted to Phoebe to deliver to the church, are called autographs. Autographa. Auto-writings. Today, none of the original autographs remain. Now, some would say... Who even cares? What difference does it make? I mean, you don't have the original autographs. How can you even talk about the inerrancy of the scriptures? Well, the reason that you talk about the inerrancy is if you don't, if you don't have some original, and, and, and by the way, the, the, the text, the biblical text, indicates that these writings did exist. I mean, it's not like, it's not like out of nothing. So as we said earlier, uh, truth, uh, true and truthful. True and truth. It's, bo it's both and. And, and, and because of that, the original, they can, texts can be reconstructed. There was an original. And we have all of these other manuscripts that enable us to get back to the original. Furthermore, the fact that we don't have it, as far as I'm concerned, is, is not of concern to me because we have all the manuscripts. But furthermore, furthermore, uh, from the beginning, Christianity was a missionary, missiological, missiological driven uh, faith. And that is, we do not engage in bibliolatry. And if, if we had that single manuscript, that single document, the original autographs, that we would have ended up worshiping the Bible. Muslims play a pretty high role on the Quran. Um, and, and, and not that we don't on the Bible, right? We're talking about this, but, but, at, but at the end of the day, uh, there, there are differences in... in so the fact that we don't, it was, I think, in the providence of God, it was, it was not intended to, to be preserved. But with sufficient manuscripts, it's relatively preserved. Yeah. For the sake of clarity. Because I don't, I don't know that many would understand what... Some of that means, yeah. 11. While it is true that the Bible is without error, the doctrine of inerrancy strictly applies only to the autographs or to what the authors originally wrote. 
Yeah. Uh, we know that the God who doesn't lie or make mistakes breathed out what the authors actually wrote. So the autographs are without error. But we also know that there are some copying errors in every Hebrew and Greek manuscript that we have. Uh, Grudem defines inerrancy in this way. Scripture in the original manuscripts does not affirm anything that is contrary to fact. Twelve. Since there are copying errors in every manuscript, affirming the inerrance of the original text is a pointless exercise. Yeah, false. Um, with the many manuscripts we have, textual scholars can reconstruct the original wording of the Bible with great accuracy. We can be confident that the Bible we hold in our hands is true and accurate. Thirteen. The words in Scripture that were actually spoken by Jesus, that is, the red letters, you're being set up, <laughs> carry more authority than the other words of Scripture. Since, since <laughs> so who just unhitched? S somebody just unhitched. <laughs> since all of Scripture is God speaking, all of Scripture is, has ultimate authority, the words of Jesus carry no more authority than the rest because God spoke it all. You know, some would ask the question. In fact, I was asked a question. Yes, um, I, I, and it's, it's stay sharp. Someone asked a question. So why does Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 say now, now, I'm saying this, not Jesus. 1 Corinthians 7. Huh, why? What's that about? Well, in essence, what he's saying is, in other words, this isn't, this isn't truth within truth. This is Paul saying, listen, I'm, I'm, I, what I'm saying here now is grounded in what Jesus has taught regarding the sanctity of marriage, the one flesh union of a man and a woman, and, and divorce for porneia. But now, what I'm saying here, Jesus didn't say anything about. So, uh, this, is, this is I speaking. Uh, I'm now speaking. But it's, but it's, but it's not less authoritative. It's, it's just as authoritative. All he's acknowledging is, Jesus didn't talk about this in Matthew 19, Mark 12. Th that's what he means. That's what he's saying. It's not as if it's less authoritative. Or, this is my own opinion here. Yeah. Yep. Fourteen. Uh, the word used to describe the complete list of all the books that belong in the Bible is covenant. False. The word used to describe the complete list of the things, uh, it's canon. Um, the canon of Scripture is a list of all the books that belong in the Bible. Fifteen. There are 64 books in the canon of Scripture. What's the answer? Not 79, like the, with the Apocrypha. Uh, 16, the books in the Bible became authoritative when they were included in the official canon of Scripture. Because they are inspired by God, the books in the Bible have an inherent authority. They were authoritative as they were written. The canon of Scripture, the list of inspired books, does not give them authority, but recognizes their inherent authority. And this is, again, one of the differences between Protestant view of, of the Scriptures, the canon, and the Roman Catholic view. In the Roman Catholic view, the church determines the canon. In the Protestant view, the canon or the Bible births the church. 17. The church stands under the authority of Scripture and its, teaching, its teachings are to be judged by Scripture. The church is ruled by God, so it is ruled by God's words in Scripture, the su supreme judge by which all controversies of religion are to be determined and all decrees of, of councils. Opinions of ancient writers, doctrines of men, and private spirits are to be examined and in whose sentence we are to rest. 
can be no other but the Holy Spirit speaking in the Scripture. It comes from the Westminster Confession of Faith, 1646. 18, the Scripture tells me everything I need to know to be saved. Yeah. The Scripture is able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Scripture tells me everything I need to know to live a life pleasing to God. Scripture equips people for every good work. Scripture tells me everything I will ever want or need to know. There are many things you may need to know that Scripture doesn't address at all, like how to drive a car or how to cook a meal. How you doing, Paulo? Okay, good. <laughs> Everything God requires of us as Christians is included in Scripture either explicitly or by implication. True. Uh, in our doctrinal survey, uh, there were some that claimed that there was revelation outside the Bible, demands, commands of God that are extra-biblical, that are required of us as the church. Uh, they're anonymous, so I wish I could find out who, who it was, that, but I can't. I can't. The whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for his own glory, man's salvation, faith, and life is either expressly set down in Scripture or by good and necessary consequence may be deduced from Scripture. 22, the term perspicuity of Scripture, perspicuity of Scripture can be defined as through the Bible, the Holy Spirit is able to persuade people to become Christians. Perspicuity is a term that refers to the Bible's clarity. So when you talk about the clarity of Scripture, that's the fancy term perspicuity. It's clear, the clarity of Scripture. <laughs> it wasn't then. It wasn't then. Uh, scripture is clear enough that ordinary people who study it and seek God's help to understand it will learn what they need to know, believe, and do to please God. Scripture is able to make simple people wise and equip them for every good work. Every passage in Scripture is easy to understand perfectly. Even Peter had to admit that some things in Paul's epistle are hard to understand. Most of us take consolation in that text, don't we? Scripture is the one and only means God uses to communicate truth about himself. False. Even Peter had to admit that some things in Paul's epistle are hard to understand. Um, 26, the revelation of Scripture is necessary for us to know the good news of salvation. Yeah, salvation depends on knowledge of Christ, and true knowledge of Christ comes ultimately from Scripture. The New Testament corrects the Old Testament. Since God is the ultimate source of all Scripture, it is a unified whole. The New Testament expands on and explains the Old Testament, but never corrects it. 28, one passage of Scripture will never actually contradict another. Yeah, so the analogia fide, or the analogy of faith, that Scripture will not, not con contradict Scripture. Uh, the teaching of the Bible is self-consistent because it all comes from the unchanging God who cannot lie, so no passage of Scripture ever contradicts another passage of Scripture. Now, it doesn't mean that there aren't apparent contradictions, right, especially in the Gospels, but the apparent term is important. And remember back to Augustine's statement, the problem is not with the text. The problem is either with the manuscript, we talked about textual criticism, it's either with the manuscript or it's with the interpreter. That is, that is I, right? Um, while it might seem like two passages contradict each other, we should press on to understand each passage. Surely, and this is where Billy Graham said, you know what? 
I, 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 lay it, I lay it at the bench before God. I, I, don't, know some of the, I don't know the answer to some of these things. And, and, and I'm, o- I'm okay with that. We've got to be okay with that. And, 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 and for Billy, that would, that was, it was, he was okay to live with, with some of that. 29, we should interpret the less clear passages of Scripture in light of its clearer passages. Yeah, it's, that's true. This principle is known as the analogy of Scripture. It is one implication of the self-consistency of Scripture. 30, persuading people that the Bible's message is completely true and authoritative is the particular work of God the Son. Yeah, false. Uh, this is the particular work of the Holy Spirit. Our full persuasion and assurance of the infallible truth and divine authority thereof is from the inward work of the Holy Spirit, bearing witness by and with the word in our hearts. That doesn't mean that there aren't evidences, right? It doesn't mean that there aren't evidences. But, but at the end of the day, the evidences are not self-interpreting, especially in a fallen world, by sinful human beings. 31. The ultimate focus of the Bible is Christians. False. Uh, the ultimate focus of the Bible is a person and work of Jesus. Jesus himself says so in John 5, 39, Luke 24, etc. 32, the overarching goal of the Bible is to bring readers into a saving relationship with God through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul and John affirm this purpose in 2 Timothy 3.15 and John 20.31. It is possible that God will speak again and add new books to the Bible. The Bible is God's full and final revelation. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 tell us that in the former days God spoke through prophets, but in these last days he has spoken through his Son. God's speech through Christ, recorded as the New Testament, is his full and final revelation for this period in redemptive history. The other thing to bear in mind in this is the closing of the canon when Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, ascension, the closing of the canon makes sense. There's a Christo-focus to the Bible. There's a, there's, a, there's a Christotelic focus to the Bible. There's a Christo-promise to the Bible. And, and Jesus is promised and he, he comes and he fulfills and he, he ascends. And, and the, it, it, so this is where you tie the, the, the Christology or the study of Christ, the person of Christ, with the Bible, not just understanding the Bible, but also the canon. It makes sense that the canon, the canon is, is complete. And this, these are some of the, some of the resources uh, that he used. So, um, uh, how'd you do, Paulo? Okay, nice. Uh, the rest of you do okay? Yeah, I commend you do this. Do it in a Sunday school class. Take, take some time and t- talk through some of these things and, and, uh, and think, think through them. And in fact, we, we could have uh, uh, taken a look at some biblical texts and, and looked at uh, um, one of your footnotes and talked about that as well. Um, here I'd like to, to spend some time now talking around our tables again. I'm going to look at five texts of Scripture, and I want to I say God and His Word, they're believed, trust, and obeyed. That, that is, uh, comes from the Chicago Statement, but it also is uh, in our own statement of faith, which we, therefore, uh, it's to be believed uh, and trusted and obeyed. Um, and we're going to read some texts, and I'm going to ask some questions. And these are the questions that I'd like for us to ponder. In Genesis 1, 1 to 3, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. The question, God has spoken, and his word has creative power. What is the significance of this truth personally and in ministry regarding a life and worldview? Another text. 
we'll, I'll go through five of them, we'll, then we'll, uh, and I've listed the questions at the end. Uh, and we'll talk about some of these. You don't have to, you don't have to talk about all of them, but I, I want to talk about whatever, uh, uh, a number of them. Deuteronomy 17, verses 18 to 20. And when he sits on the throne, this is the king, the king of Israel. When he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priests. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it in it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them, that his commandment, uh, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment either to the right hand or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel." Kings were to write the law in a book. They were to copy it. They were scribes writing the, the, the God's law as they ruled as a king. And, and there's a reason why. So what are the ways that God and his word are foundational and fundamental in my life and ministry? And what are the ways in which, and the disip, disciplines to which, I engage that ensure this. I don't think, now, uh, I, I'm just saying, an ordination paper doesn't quite qualify to what was done here. Maybe, I mean, it's part of it, maybe, right? But what, what are we doing? I think it's worthwhile for us to consider. No, we're not, we're not going backwards to the law, um, meriting something, but, but there, there's something here that I think is important for us to ponder. Here's a third, Isaiah 66, verses 1 and 2. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Response to God is reflected in a response to his word. Remember the, the connection intimately. How do you foster and nourish this posture before the word of the Lord and the Lord of the word? And how do you teach and lead others to do the same? Fourth text, Matthew 4. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. True and lasting life is not found in the things of this earth, as good as they may be, though fallen, but rather in every word that comes from the mouth of God. We are verbivores. What are the implications of this truth personally and in ministry? Why is it critical that all ministry must be a word-based ministry? And the last one. Hebrews 3, 7 to 15. I made reference to it earlier. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, present tense, quoting Psalm 95, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your father put me to, fathers put me to the test and saw uh, my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they, have, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways as I sworn my wrath. They shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. 
For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end, as it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. What is the significance of the author quoting from the Old Testament and referring to that statement as the Holy Spirit says in the present tense? Since the scriptures are the way God speaks to us today, now in the present tense, what impact does this have on our lives? on our teaching, on the way we understand and teach the Bible in the church. So spend some time thinking through these texts and these questions um, in your tables. Let's just take a few minutes, five, seven minutes to, to uh, discuss these questions. And just so you know, we'll follow with some of the ways it's being challenged and undermined. So we'll follow with the affirming here, and then we'll follow this, that, with the, the way it's being questioned and undermined. Okay, uh, let's, uh, let's uh, reconvene. Reconvene. Uh, good to hear the discussion. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to press on. And we're going to talk about these, and then we'll, we'll share a few things on the other side of this, all right? Just good exercise to think about, so what is the implication of God's Word, God and His Word? Uh, here's now, we follow with this. It's God and His Word challenged, undermined, and denied. Because it's not just, the Bible teaches us not only that God speaks, but there's another one who speaks, or at least calls into question the one who spoke. He's a created being. Uh, he is not, he's not... Uh, on par with God. He is a created being. There's one uncreated. That's God. Uh, uh, the enemy is a created, but he speaks. He speaks as well. He apes God. He attempts to, to speak with the same kind of authority to call into question. And I, I just, there are a number of texts here, and I, what I want us to do is to think about this. So what are the lies that we're hearing today? What are the lies that are, that are challenging, undermining, and denying the Word of God. So that's, the, that's the, the, the frame I want us to think about now when we read these texts. Genesis 3, 1 and 4 to 5. Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So what are the ways today that the deceiver... The liar is saying, did God actually say? You will at your tables. And you get the first response at your table. Thank you, brother. Uh, this, is, this, is, this is big, uh, and it's, it, we just need to ask, so what, what is it? And, and the, the lie is perpetually the same. But the application is contemporary. Every generation, it's going to be a new iteration of the same lie. What is it? Deuteronomy 8, verses 11 to 20. Um, Take care lest you forget the Lord, your God, by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Then your heart be lifted up, and you forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Beware lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. 
you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is to this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you, warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. So what are the ways we are tempted to become comfortable and forget God? What idols have we created which have caused us to forget God and his word? And I think especially those of us in, uh, that are in whatever we're doing, but I think in particular th those in vocational ministry, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. My power, my ability, my smarts, my lips, my tongue. It's just very easy to fall into that, that, th those lies. Third, 1 Kings 22, 19 to 23, and, and Micah, I said, Therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing beside him on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will entice Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one said one thing and another said another. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord saying, I will entice him. And the Lord said to him, By what means? And he said, I will go out and will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, You are to entice him, and you shall succeed. Go out and do so. Now therefore, behold, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these your prophets. The Lord has declared disaster for you. So, friends, what is the message of the lying spirit we are hearing from the mouths of contemporary prophets? We looked at Matthew 4.4. 4. This now comes the larger context. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike, uh, lest you, uh, strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. What are the tempters, temptations for believers and the people of God today? And they were specific to Jesus, and they will be specifically targeted against us as well. And finally, 2 Timothy 4, 1-5, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, re and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have, having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So friends, what is the origin of the present-day itching ears? And what is the message they are hearing to suit their own passions? I think, I think it's important for us as soul doctors to be concerned not just about the, the diagnosis or, the, or the, the, the issue, the precipitating issue, but what, what undergirds it. 
What's caused the symptoms? And that's then the question of the origin. So here they are. Take a few moments to talk about some of these things. I'm, I'm, I'm eager to hear what you have to say uh, as we think about some of these contemporary challenges uh, to the Word of God in which it is questioned or, or undermined or denied. Uh, so help us, help us all by uh, t- talking for a few minutes and then we'll, we'll share, we'll share with this. All right, let's, uh, let's uh, put our thoughts back together and what are, what are some things that you identified? What are some things that you discussed? Let's just go around. What, what's one thing? We'll just go around the room. Just what, what's one of the things you d- talked about? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. 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 And 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 in in this you know the first one you mentioned uh, the you know, hell. Uh, um, it's interesting uh, that the that that was the first question. That is, you will not die. It was embedded in that first question of, of did God really say, you will not die, Satan said. Uh, what about uh, something here? Well, I guess you raised your hand. You better at least share. Brother. Uh, just you know, there's there there are huge detransitioning stories that that are not getting the airtime because it's contrary to the cultural narrative. But but those are huge. In fact, uh, you know, I've said this for a number of uh, years now. But that there are going to be huge lawsuits against physicians, against parents um, uh, on this issue. And th- this the one that I'm thinking about most recently was in the UK. Uh, a woman, uh, 23 years of age, that started transitioning at 14. Uh, Age 16, she had a a, a double mastectomy, um, hormone therapy, all this sort of stuff as well. About a year and a half ago, at age 21, 22, she just decided to, you know, just it it wasn't a solution. Um, And she's now suing. Um, But all that to say, yeah, that's, that's a big one. Yeah. 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 Well, have you heard of Have you heard of Yeah. Yeah. You heard about Dwayne Wade? Yeah. It's just It's just painful. It's just. But but just say this now, guys, uh, gals, friends. Um, there is a cultural narrative, and there's a biblical narrative. And it's like this. It's, it's, they're parallel, but they're really in opposition one to another. 
very much so. But, but I would say this, that, that the biblical narrative is the narrative that brings hope. There's a hope. Uh, next table, uh, something. Um, some, some would say that, that inevitably what's happened is that uh, when we speak of God, we just simply speak uh, of man in a loud voice. <laughs> that is to say, he's merely a projection of who we are. So, um, and uh, that's not new, but it is, it's, it's Ludwig Faderbach that came up with this, which is a, you know, if you look at the, the history, um, it's... Uh, um, uh, Rene Descartes, uh, I think, therefore I am. And of course, you know, that the issue is there is that the truth becomes internal. It's not external. It's I think, and I, that because I think I'm the ultimate determiner of truth. And, and, and then Farbach would, would, would claim that, that God is merely a projection of humanity. Uh, wow. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I, I think, mm -hmm. sure, yeah, I mean, that, that, that's true. That's also part of the issue of um, what we talked earlier, that is the, the Bullinger quote, uh, the preaching of the Word of God is the Word of God, uh, and the explanation of that, that if, in fact, we're not embedded in the truth of God's Word, all of it, and submitting ourselves to it, that is, to whom does God look? The one who is humble and contrite and trembles at my word. So when, when, when I become the authority, then I'm the one who des decides what I like, what I don't like. And so it's, it's, it's a temptation. It is a huge temptation. And that's then, I think, the Deuteronomy text. Don't forget. It's not your power. It's not your might. It's not your smarts that gets you this. It's none of that. It's God's grace. Yeah. Yep, very good. Uh, yes, over here. Whoever. Joel. I mean, we, we, similar thing. Yeah. Did God actually say homosexuality is wrong? Yeah. The Bible doesn't really address committed wrong advice. Yeah. It's only about temple prophecy. Yeah. 
Great. Thank you. Uh, here, and then we'll end over here. Yeah. 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 Okay. Thank you. And finally. Yeah. Well, thank you for carrying on that discussion. I think it's, a, it, it's a important for us to think long and hard about these things. Sometimes I think we are just simply immersed and, and we get so close that, that sometimes it's helpful to pull the curtains back to say, hmm, let's look at this a little more carefully. Let's look at this a little more closely and, and not just on behalf of somebody else. But but myself. Um, and it's the mirror, not the window, as we've talked about uh, before. Um, well, in light of the hour, um, what we'll do, uh, we'll look at some historical things tomorrow. And um, I'll go through my notes to figure out what becomes important for us to talk about, um, or at least what I'll assess, maybe, uh, some things that I think would be helpful. Um, and... Um, this will be one of them, uh, and I, I'll look at five periods of time, and one of them is, uh, you know, even, uh, Joel, what you mentioned, this has a historical precedent, too. It's Marcionism, and so we'll look at these five uh, things tomorrow, and, uh, um, and by the way, you don't have to take notes uh, or whatever. Uh, we'll, John will make them available afterwards. Uh, friends, thank you very much for the day. Uh, thank you for being engaged. Thank you for uh, the engagement around and participation around the tables as well. Um, this is not just a intended to be a one-way sort of thing. Uh, yeah, you're hearing things that you maybe haven't heard some before, some quotes or whatever from different people, different times in, in the history of uh, the church or whatever. But it's also intended to be kind of a workshop, too, of, of thinking about these things. You know, you, you're providing leadership in the context of local churches, and, and thanks be to God that you are, and I'm grateful for that. We partner uh, together. But, but they're also important for us that we're not exempt from these things as well, of learning and growing and wrestling and thinking and doing so together. The theology is, is always best lived and learned in community. And so thank you for engaging uh, so fully today. I'm, I'm very thankful.